As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to the Athletic Baseball Show. It is Friday, May 27th. Derek Van Riper here with Al Melkier talking waiver wire as we do each and every week. And I think compared to weekends of the last couple of weeks, we are looking at a smaller group of players, which works out kind of conveniently for people who might be enjoying a holiday weekend and spending less time on fab. Yeah, yeah, I think definitely a smaller array of uh, players, interesting players to choose from. So I wouldn't say skip it, but uh, yeah, maybe a little, maybe a little less time pouring over the options. Exactly. We're going to start with bats, like we always do, kind of focusing on the more broadly appealing players before we get into some more deep league options. And I think one of the more interesting players to look at this weekend is Edwin Rios, because the Dodgers have some extra playing time available in their infield with Max Muncy going back on the IL. I say back on the IL mostly because he dealt with arm issues at the end of last season. And you have to wonder if there could be an extended absence for Muncie. There's a lot of ways this could play out over the course of what's left of the season. We talked about Miguel Vargas, one of their top prospects, being an option at some point if a spot opens up. So if the Dodgers decide that Edwin Rios is still more of a a multi-position bench guy, we could see Vargas later on with some shuffling around. But short term, it looks like Rios is the player that's going to get more opportunities with Muncy down. So I'm just curious how aggressively you're pursuing him and in what types of leagues do you think Edwin Rios has some short-term appeal? Well, not too aggressively, but definitely worth bidding on in 15-teamers, you know, maybe 14-teamers, a little bit shallower. I would say definitely not worth uh, even making a nominal bid in 12-teamers for Rios. But, you know, the thing is that there's there's two things that really stand out in his profile, a ton of power, but also a lot of strikeouts. And, and both, well, actually, the power hasn't been that consistent. The strikeouts have been very consistent. But yeah, this is the sort of opportunity that a year or two ago I would have been a lot more excited about, but with a prospect like Vargas possibly knocking on the door uh, with Rios coming off of a season where he didn't produce much power, uh, my, my interest level is a little bit lower, but yeah, I mean, he could be at least in the short term, somebody who really does provide a lot of power and obviously being in the Dodgers lineup, uh, maybe a little bit of run production as well. 
Because he's been kind of a, an up and down guy and someone that missed a lot of time with injuries of his own last season, I think you have to look at the overall body of work for Rios so far as a big league hitter uh, because no one season really sheds enough light on what he brings as a player. The only thing in the profile other than the K rate that gives me a, just a little bit of concern is that the hard hit rate is down this year at 37.8%. It's not abysmal by any stretch of the imagination, but this is a guy who has a career hard hit rate of 47.1%. It should surprise no one. The barrel rate is at 16% for Edwin Rios in his career. I can take the swing and miss when you have a barrel rate at that level. Um, so I think for me, I'm looking at Rios as more of a, a contingency sort of bid, even in my 12-team leagues where he's available. And the other part of it is, it's a Dodgers lineup that scores so many runs. You and I have talked about this run environment and the challenges that it creates. Rios being a part of a, a team that scores runs almost at will, that gives him more run and RBI potential, and that could actually make him stand out compared to other guys on lesser teams that might have a, a slightly more firm grasp on playing time. Well, and I'll add one more, th- one more other thing to that and go back to a player that we seem to talk about a lot, and that's Patrick Wisdom. And uh, I wind up being a little bit more interested in Wisdom just because the, the the power interests me a little bit more, but I do recognize the big problems with, uh, with swing and miss with him. Rios obviously does have similar problems, although maybe not to the same of the same magnitude, but he's not somebody who profiles as like a a completely power oriented hitter. He doesn't hit, he, he maybe a slightly fly ball leaning, doesn't pull the ball a lot. So those are little things that could help his batting average and keep him from being just an, an utter zero in that category. Uh, but at the same time, enough raw power that he's not going to suffer for having that profile. There's another shallow league player that's still out there in a surprising number of leagues. Harrison Bader. I know we've talked about him at least once on one of these waiver episodes at some point this season. In CBS leagues, he's only rostered in 62% of leagues in which he's available. That just seems low when you consider how difficult it is to find stolen bases and how much Bader has been contributing in that category alone. But it's not just steals, right? Because the playing time volume is high. The counting stats are good. He's popped four home runs already. And we've seen some holdover of the plate discipline improvement that Bader displayed a season ago. Yeah. I, you know, the thing that I wrote in the column this week, the waiver column, is that normally when you have a player who produces steals the way that Bader is producing them, I mean, potentially a 40 steal season, I think, you know, much more safely, safely, you could say a 30 steal season for him. If that sort of player contributes anything else, that's a player that's rostered everywhere. And the power is down this year. So are the strikeouts. And you figure maybe those things reverse a little bit more towards uh, Bader's usual norms. He's still not going to be a liability in terms of batting average if he strikes out a little bit more. And last year, he was a pretty decent power source. So I think he could get back to that. And then he's giving you a lot more than just, you know, possibly 20 plus steals from this point forward. And like you said, somebody who's really barely rostered in 12 team leagues, it's a bit of a head scratcher, but I think that now is the weekend that you can prioritize them, especially since there aren't a lot of other options where you're you're thinking about emptying the bank. And, um, you know, over the next week or two, maybe a lot more people start to take notice. Yeah, the other shadow league bats in the outfield that I think are, are worth kind of putting up against Bader are guys that are clearly behind him for me in leagues where all three are available. Miguel Andujar getting some chances now with the Yankees again because of the Giancarlo Stanton injury. That really just shuffles things up. So it could be regular run, even if it's only temporary, 
for Andujar. And then there's Nick Senzel back from the COVID IL in Cincinnati, where I think there's still something there for him to tap into just in terms of raw tools. We've seen him in the past show double-digit home run power and double-digit speed. Uh, I think you could look at Senzel and say, hey, look, this is a bad team, so that gives him a path to play every day and maybe end up in a prominent spot in the lineup as well. So whereas I could see and Duhar being more like Edwin Rios, where it's a short-term opportunity and he's more of a, a temporary solution, I could also see Senzel being the longer-term option that actually pays off if he's able to stay healthy and put the skills back together, even though the results overall have been inconsistent and skewing to the the side where you wouldn't even want to think about Senzel in a 12-team league. I think you do at least consider it in a 12-team league where there are five outfielders, in part because I think Nick Senzel can steal some bases. Possibly, yeah. Uh, I mean, he's really not contributed a lot of anything the last few years, and of course, he's missed a lot of time. So that that's maybe not a fair a fair critique. But the the fact that he delivered uh, the double digit home runs, twelve home runs in twenty nineteen, and we've seen a number of players fall off power wise from that year because again, because of the ball. Uh, so for that reason, maybe it's just coincidence, maybe it's not causation, but it does make me a little bit distrustful of waiting that year too much for Senzel. And I'm not sure where the steals have been either since that year. But but I, I would agree with you. Between him and Andujar, uh, Senzel, I think, is is definitely worth a, a bigger bid and worth uh, pursuing in uh, shallower leagues. I, I'm not sure about five outfielder leagues, 12 teams, but I, you know, I could see at least see the argument there because of the playing time and, and the possibility that it, nothing else, he could be a compiler. Yeah, worst case scenario, though, I think a 15-team league where you're looking for that sixth outfielder or that last outfielder in, I think you do want to take the chance on Senzel, despite the lack of success as a base dealer. My argument with Senzel would also be that he's had 184 games in the big league, so he's under 700 career plate appearances. What percentage of those do you think he was fully healthy for? Like half, maybe? Maybe. Like that, I just... I think it's still more more of a question than anything else as to what exactly he can do at the big league level. I know the barrel rate is low. The hard hit rate's pretty low. I think it's going to be a surprising amount of speed, and I think the park can make the limited power play up quite a bit. I think that was a big part of what happened in 2019. Obviously, we had a lively ball that year as well, but just one of those names that I think people are still thinking about again now that he is back. So I understand prioritizing Andujar over Senzel because I think the immediate value is much clearer with Andujar. But Harrison Bader is a cut above both in situations where all three are out there. Uh, you and I talked about William Contreras earlier in the week on the Tuesday Prospect Show. Uh, obviously, with Travis Darno healthy right now, that blocks one of the main sources of playing time for Contreras. And it's been an interesting week for him. He's playing a little bit in the outfield. The Braves getting a little healthier in that position group. Where do we go from here with playing time? Where do you want to put Contreras among catchers right now? given how Atlanta has been using him recently. Well, we talked about Adley Rutschman, uh, I believe it was on the Prospect Show. Some point this week we talked about him, and I put him in the top 10. I put Contreras right around the same spot uh, just because of the, the power that we've seen so far and the possibility that this is something that Contreras can come close to sustaining. And at this point, I'm not worried at all about playing time for him because he's seeing plenty of time in DH. He got a start in left field uh, earlier this week, so... 
obviously there's an effort there to keep him in the lineup and, and you know, why wouldn't they? So uh, yeah, I, I think, I don't know if he'll remain a one catcher league option from here on out the rest of the season, but I think right now you definitely, if you need an upgrade there, he's uh, an option. I don't think you're going to be able to get him in many two catcher leagues at this point, but obviously wherever, wherever Contreras is available, pretty much he needs to be added. Yeah, but just more versatility than I expected and definitely surprised to see him getting some run as a DH. I mean, if you look at the games going into the weekend, the last six games for Atlanta, uh, Wilson or William Contreras has started five of those games. Left field, like you mentioned, a couple starts in DH. So moving around enough to find that value, at least in two catcher leagues where he's still out there, you got to think about picking him up. But even if you're in a, like a 14-team, one-catcher league and you've been rotating, he'd be among the players you want to try and rotate through that spot. Uh, Andres Jimenez also out there in a decent number of leagues, uh, obviously eligible both at second base and shortstop in most leagues. Everyone's looking for speed, Al. Can Andres Jimenez provide it? I think he can, but I understand why he's actually being dropped. So it was a little bit of an oddity that I included him on the, the waiver piece because that, for obvious reasons, tends to be players that are already being picked up or maybe should be picked up. Uh, he's actually on the most dropped list on both CBS and ESPN right now. And he's only got three steals. So that's obviously a big reason. Another reason is that he started sitting against lefties. And both things are a little bit puzzling. But I think that he can, just to answer your, your actual question, is that uh, I think that he can still provide steals. I think there's still an opportunity for him to have another, you know, maybe 15, possibly on the outside, another 20 steals this year. He hasn't been thrown out yet. Um, he's just not not trying to steal bases so far. Uh, I think that that can come. And meanwhile, he's hitting with a lot more power. Uh, his average exit velocity on flies and liners is somewhere between three and four percentage points above where it was both last year and the year before. Uh, it is showing up in his power stats. He's got an ISO in the 190s. So you get those steals back in the equation. He's hitting in the 280s. Uh, you got, you've got a pretty complete player. And right now people are dropping him. So not only could you, and I think you should pick him up in 12 teamers and stash him uh, to see if he does get back to being an everyday player. But I mean, he might be available out there in some deeper leagues. Yeah. I mean, it's a, a low key significant change in the underlying numbers to see a player like Jimenez getting the hard hit rate above 40%, lowering the K rate slightly. I know he doesn't draw a lot of walks, but be more excited about the things that he can do as opposed to just being pessimistic about the few things that he really hasn't shown an ability to do. He's also in the 95th percentile in sprint speed, and he's 98th percentile in outs above average, which I think helps drive that playing time. Even if he's not going to play against lefties, big side platoon guys that can run a little bit, they tend to find their way into your lineup, especially as injuries continue to pile up as we move through the summer. Uh, this next group is more a group of deeper league bats. Maybe you can argue your way into uh, pushing them into shallow leagues at some point. But I think it's an interesting group of outfielders this week among these players, too, because we've got Cal Mitchell in Pittsburgh. We've got Tyrone Taylor in Milwaukee and Oscar Gonzalez, another member of the Guardians, getting a little opportunity for some added playing time. Uh, of those three, who do you like the most? Uh, in the short term, definitely Tyrone Taylor. But um, I did not include either him or Gonzalez in this week's waiver column just because it's not clear to me in Gonzalez's case, in Gonzalez's case how much he's actually going to play, even though he did, did make the start on Thursday. And um, in Taylor's case, uh, when, uh, when Renfro comes back, what his role is going to be. So short term, yeah, I like Taylor the most. But uh, long term, I actually think Mitchell's got the most intrigue. 
Yeah, Mitchell might have the clearest path to an everyday role of the three players. So I, I could see that being something that if you're trying to solve a problem for more than the next couple of weeks, that would make a lot of sense. I do think with Taylor, Lorenzo Kane hasn't really hit much. Andrew McCutcheon had a nice start, but hasn't done enough to lock in everyday DH plate appearances. So the fact that Taylor can play center field and allow Milwaukee to kind of shift some guys around and rotate the DH spot if they don't like what they're getting from Kutch on an everyday basis, that gives him a decent path. So it's not just a, a temporary fill-in situation for him in deeper formats. And I think if, if he shows that power-speed combo that we saw in about a half season's worth of plate appearances last year, uh, that's going to continue to drive that playing time. Really nice week for him with the Brewers on the road in San Diego uh, for their first series of the week and now in St. Louis. With Mitchell, he's a second-round pick in 2017. He was 6-for-6 six six as a base dealer at AAA, popped five home runs, and that's not the PCL, right? AAA Indianapolis is the International League side, so you're not getting all those high-altitude environments where the ball uh, just flies. I think we're at a point, too, with the Pirates, Al, where now that we're about a quarter of the way through the season, they're going to start making bigger roster moves. They're going to start DFAing players that haven't produced if they're older guys and start taking a look at younger players for the future. I think you've, you've seen enough from guys that are well below league average at this point to the point where you'd say, let's shuffle it up because we're not going anywhere this, this season. Let's actually see what someone like Mitchell can do because he might be a pretty big part of their future. Yeah, no, I think that's absolutely right. So, uh, you know, that that's the reason why I think of the three, he's definitely got the most long-term appeal. I mean, that said to me, he is really a 15-teamer kind of player at this point. Uh, but, uh, you know, he could could contribute in that format, uh, like I said, from here on out. I think Oscar Gonzalez, to me, is more of a mono-league sort of player. Um, I don't think I'm looking at him in a 15-team league at this point. He'd be schedule-dependent if I were considering someone like that. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. I want to get to this question here from Disco Dave, and if you haven't watched this show live, we do go live every Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern. We're happy to take questions for anybody who does drop by on the Athletics YouTube channel. Disco Dave wants to know, when you're adding players, how big of a role does age play? The example uh, Disco Dave throws out there is Darren Ruff versus Christopher Morell. Well, I mean, independent of everything else, it really pays very plays a very small role for me because if Darren Ruff, I nearly wrote about Darren Ruff in this week's column. And then I looked at the, the playing time situation there for when Brandon Bell comes back, which could be very soon. And probably Ruff goes back to just starting against righty. So uh, if Ruff were, go if he had a path to everyday play, 
the rest of the way. I would rather have him than Morrell. And Morrell is obviously off to a great start. There's a lot to recommend him. He uh, is, uh, could be eligible at a bunch of different positions. But um, yeah, to, to me, it I mean, it might be a little bit of a different calculus in a keeper league, but in redraft, it's really just what can this player do for me maybe in the few weeks ahead and what can they do for me rest of season? Yeah, I think the interesting thing here with Morrell, too, he's let off three consecutive games heading into the weekend, too. So he's no longer stuck in the bottom third of the order. He could fall out of that spot just as quickly as he moved into it. Um, But there is power. There is speed. I think we talked about him a little bit on last week's pod. I do see a longer path for Morrell to continue playing. It's a little bit like what we're seeing in Pittsburgh, right? I mean, you're the Cubs. You're thinking more about 2023 and beyond. And if Morrell continues to play well, the versatility he brings is enough to just keep him in the lineup every day and see what happens until he gives you a reason not to play him every day. So age is actually a pretty small factor for me. It is more about usage, more about those core skills. Um, If I were in a dynasty league, a deep dynasty league where those two players were available and my team wasn't on track to win this year, I do think age moves up in priority quite a bit. I'd be a lot more interested in the flyer on Morrell than a player like Ruff who two or three years from now might be in an even smaller role than he's in right now, even though the per-plate appearance production from Ruff is good when the playing time ticks up, which it has done recently with the injuries the Giants are dealing with. But thanks a lot for that question, Disco Dave. A few more deep league bats just to throw out there. Max Stassi back from the COVID IL. I just think lineup support is huge for him. One of those guys that if you miss out on William Contreras, if you're looking for a bit of help at catcher, Stassi might have been dropped as a result of the time that he lost. Another Cub in the mix here, Nico Horner back from the IL as well. I've been very skeptical of his power all along, Al. Am I wrong, or do you actually see something in this profile that we should like from a power perspective? I'm not seeing it yet. Uh, a little bit more power so far than I would have expected. But granted, I was expecting absolutely none. So, uh, so there's that. But no, I I, I don't uh, see that as a part of his appeal. I think it's it's more batting average and maybe run production. Yeah, 5.8% barrel rate so far this season, just over 100 plate appearances. It's a pleasant surprise to see the improvement there. Hard hit rate right in line with what we've seen each of the last two seasons when Horner has been in the big league. So maybe a slight uptick, but I saw him as more of a like 5-7 to seven home run guy entering the season. If we're going to say he's a 10-12 to 12 home run player now, that is improvement. That plays in deeper leagues. And kind of like we talked about a bit earlier, I mean, with Andres Jimenez, Nico Horner actually runs well. He's 91st percentile in sprint speed, and he's grading out as a good defender, too. So if if that drives his playing time, then the counting stats will follow. But I see Horner as more of a a fill-in, a temporary fill-in for deep mixed leagues as a middle infielder and less of someone that you'd actually want to have on your roster in those leagues because I think the Cubs offense is going to be below average going forward, could even get worse as the season rolls along. (laughs) So your counting stats might suffer a little bit. And there's just not a ton of ceiling there unless we see him getting more green lights on the base pass, finding ways to get on base more consistently, which he might do. The walk rate's down a little bit right now for Nico Horner. For his career, he's at 7.1%. So if he gets back to that, there's a useful player here, but just not a particularly high ceiling one, um, despite the little bit of pedigree. Other names I want to throw at you, Paven Smith. I think he came up on last week's show. I think you could do worse with your last bench bat in a mixed league. I think we talked about the barrel rate being up on last week's show. Uh, Matt Carpenter has an opportunity with the Yankees. And then Kevin Padlow is creeping into the mix for some playing time with the Giants, but 
once Belt comes back, I think through part of the trickle-down, he might be among the players that would uh, end up in a smaller role or possibly get sent back down. So any interest in Carpenter or Padlo is more than mono-league villains? Uh, no, I think that's exactly their function in fantasy. Uh, just uh, players who, in the short term at least, can provide you with some at-bats, fill a, a spot that you need to fill because of an injury, and that's about it. Let's move on to some pitchers of interest. We'll start with the more broadly appealing options before digging into some possible streaming considerations and maybe a few two-start pitchers as well. Uh, Aaron Ashby was a name that came up on the prospect pod on Tuesday. I think we've got a little more information now about the expected absence of Freddie Peralta with that shoulder injury. August is now more of the timetable for when he's going to come back or at least get to the point where they can more accurately estimate when he's going to be back. So, that's a long window for Aaron Ashby to stay in this Brewers rotation. I know you expressed that you were very confident in him as someone that you actually wanted to go after on Tuesday. In terms of percentage of bid, are we talking 10 to 15% of a full fab budget for Ashby, if not a tick more? Yeah, no, that's uh, exactly what I put in the column this week. He's the one player this week that to me is uh, not a literal empty the bank kind of player, but uh, the the closest you would find to that. You want to save a little because we've still got Grayson Rodriguez coming and maybe a few others. But uh, yeah, he's he's the kind of player that I think really can make a huge impact, maybe win a league for you this year. And uh, that's exactly where I put that that bit amount, uh, 10, 10 to 15. Yeah, hitters look pretty uncomfortable against him in the box, getting a nice velo on the fastball. He's averaging 96 on that pitch right now. He's got a slider. He's got a changeup. He's got a curve, a deep enough arsenal. It's just a question of whether he can keep the walks in check. If he can do that, I think Aaron Ashby could be the kind of impact pitcher that you just described. Uh, at the other end, we've talked about stashing pitchers a lot on this show. We haven't talked a lot about Brian Bayo on our prospect episodes He's moving up in this Red Sox system and maybe a guy that could come up at some point in the next few weeks and take on a spot in this rotation. Uh, is he worth stashing now in leagues where you're allowed to pick him up? Uh, by the way, I think we did talk about him the one week that you weren't on the prospect show. So we, he was discussed there recently, but I think it was right when he got the promotion from double A AA to triple A. And I think because he did still very recently just get that promotion, I had not been thinking about him in the same vein as we had been talking about Max Meyer, of course, now in the IL or Grayson Rodriguez for that matter. Um, to me, that was maybe more of a, a, a later season uh, consideration, but I don't know. Yeah, I mean, he's just been fantastic. So maybe he does belong in that that conversation. Uh, I think there's certainly room for him in the uh, in the Red Sox rotation. I think it would be more about someone going down with an injury or a sudden turn in effectiveness. I think as it stands right now, that core group of five they have is pitching well enough. Michael Walker is always the guy that I'm watching. Yeah. Very closely. I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop. So far, so good as far as the results. I know he's not necessarily getting deep into his start every time out. The last two turns have been less than five innings, but the results to this point, a 283 ERA, 109 whip, probably going to give Bayo a little more time at AAA before they actually bring him up for performance reasons, but really like what we've seen through these first two starts from a 40% K rate so far. Uh, at AAA for Brian Bayo. So I think he's starting to push his way into the, if you can stash someone in the minors conversation, he might be showing enough to where you'd want to use a roster spot that way. Uh, a lot of interest in Brady Singer lately, Al. Do you share in that interest? 
Well, sure, I do, because it's absolute confirmation bias for me. Because <laughs> he was one of my guys going into this season. And uh, the results have been great lately, the last couple of starts. So, yeah, I'm, I'm very excited. And, uh, yeah, I mean, to me, he's a potential stash in, in 12-teamers at this point. A little bit of a challenging week to pick him up and use him right away. He's got a home matchup against the Astros for his next start. But... Uh, you look a little further. I mean, if you think that the Jays offense is going to keep struggling home against the Jays awaits the following week, we know in the AL Central there are plenty of, of easier matchups that come around. So that would be part of the appeal of Singer. Even if he's not necessarily in your lineup right away upon picking him up, he may have figured something out and could certainly lock down a spot in that rotation given the issues that the Royals have had. Let's talk about Zach Eflin for a bit. I am curious to know if you think Zach Eflin is viable in 12-team leagues where he's available because I think Eflin is constantly right on that bubble. Someone that people want to trust, but he struggles enough to get cut, and then we go through the same sort of process of wondering, has enough changed? Is he showing something different than before? Can we actually believe this time around? He lives (laughs) He lives in the waiver wire conversation, it seems. He does. So we'll probably be back here again in a week or two talking about him again. But uh, his last start was a terrific one. It was against the Dodgers. And there was a different thing happening in that start. Now, of course, we see these kinds of blips for one or even two starts all the time with pitchers. Uh, But given what else Eflin does well, I'm really interested to see if that continues. And the interesting thing was that he threw his curveball a lot more often in that start. And he got 12 whiffs on 35 pitches with it uh, against the Dodgers. So I'm really interested to see. I think he's got the Mets on Saturday this weekend. Really interested to see what the pitch mix is, to see how effective that curveball is when he does use it. And the thing is, even even if it doesn't go well, um, I do like Eflin at least as a streamer, somebody that maybe you can stream off of your bench in a 12-teamer because he's really, really good. In fact, he may be the best starting pitcher so far this year in terms of minimizing hard contact. He's got the lowest average exit velocity and flies and liners allowed among qualified starters. Um, he's very, very good at uh, control, not not offering uh, very many walks at all. So even if he's just a so-so strikeout pitcher, he can be all right with those things. But the fact that uh, you know he had such success with the curveball against the Dodgers really is is pretty intriguing. Let's talk about the two Keegans. That's of course Keegan Thompson in Chicago with the Cubs and Keegan Aiken with the Orioles. Aiken's usage has been lighter on a per outing basis. Um, Thompson, it kind of seems like they're stretching him out more like a starter, but it's not there consistently just yet. I think with both of these guys, the natural question you have is. Do they lose a lot of effectiveness going from three-ish inning stints to possibly five-plus innings? And with Thompson, again, he is closer to it. He's lined up to start against the Cardinals, I believe, during the upcoming week. Ratios are great so far. K-rate's been pretty solid. Where do you stand on the two Keegans? And Are they getting enough of a workload to where you can mix them in for deeper mixed leagues? Or do you still see them more as viable monoleague guys? Uh, oh no, definitely okay for for deeper mixed leagues. Just because you're you're getting the the ratios, you're getting good ratios. Maybe you're not you know you're not getting the bulk strikeouts. You're not uh, getting wins necessarily at this point with either of them. But uh, you're getting good ratios. And the thing is with Thompson that as he has been gradually getting stretched out a little bit more, that he has continued to be effective. So that gives me some some hope that if he is consistently going five or six. 
that that will continue remains to be seen with him. Aiken, uh, I don't think he's even gone beyond three yet. Uh, so like you said, he's a little bit behind and his past track record as a starter wasn't good. But again, that was with, you know, with him as a rookie. So, uh, you know, maybe second time around, if he gets to that point of being a starter again, that things will be a little bit different, but really intriguing. But yeah, it just really struck me looking today at both of them, looking at their player pages, that their their stats are are nearly identical uh, in terms of the number of innings, the strikeout walk ratios, everything, uh, the batted ball profile. Um, so yeah, you could get get a little confused uh, between your two your two Keegans. I actually did a little Twitter poll, and Thompson did beat out Aiken as the uh, better pitcher rest of season. I'm I'm on board with that. Yeah, I think there's some NL Central versus AL East in there as yeah. well. On top of the slight difference in in volume, I think there's just more volume of an ex, more of an expectation of volume for me at least with Keegan Thompson at this point. Got a question here from Kenneth Hinjin Ryu recently dropped in his league. Is Ryu someone worth stashing rest of season despite the elbow concerns over a starter like Jamison Tyon? I would say hard no on that one. I think Tyon is actually. He's showing some stuff that he hasn't really shown us in recent years. So I, I'd like Tyone quite a bit, kind of buying into what he's done through the first two months. I think Ryu, it might be more than than health at this point. I mean, the K rate is way down this season, 12.4%. He just seems a lot more hittable, and it's just a, a difficult place to, to throw someone that you think is going to be yielding a lot of contact right now. So I think if you're in... Even a 15-team mixed league and Ryu has been dropped, he's not necessarily a must-add right now, given the uncertainty and just given the the rapid drop-off in his skills. Yeah, I agree. In any league where you'd be talking about potentially dropping Tyone is definitely not a league where you would need to be adding Ryu anyway. So I agree 100%. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruits and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruits and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. Let's move on to a couple more names that are out there in a handful of leagues. Uh, Chase Silsteth still sitting out there at Philly this week, though. So if you've been thinking about it, this isn't a great week to pick him up and use him. But if you have a spot you've been mixing and matching with, I think he might be good enough to be considered for that. Uh, Mike Miner could be back this week in Boston. I'm not really interested in that particular start, but there is a two-start week coming the following week if everything stays on course with the schedule for the Reds. And I think if you are looking in a league where it's hard to find two-start pitchers, plenty of deeper mixed leagues out there like that, home against Arizona and road against the Cardinals would actually be a spot in a 15-team league where I'm chasing volume where I wouldn't want Miner. So maybe you can pick him up cheap for this week put him on the bench, and then be ready to use him for that two-start week the following week. Yeah, I like that depth of league in terms of um, 
where his appeal is. I think even if he did really great in that start this week, I'd be be a pr- pretty hesitant to use him in 12-teamers uh, for that two-step, but uh, definitely uh, worth watching to see how he does in, in those first three starts combined. I, th- I think the reasoning here is you want to see if the velo is okay, if the movement location, if all that's okay coming off the injury, because if it's not, you don't have to use him for the two-start week, and it's a lot cheaper to add him now if you've got the bench space to do. I realize that's a very specific way of going about things, but sometimes you have to manage your roster a week ahead of time, depending on how competitive your league is. Uh, Another mention for Jake Junis, he's got two starts coming up again this week, Al, at Philly, which we generally try to avoid, but then at Miami for the second one. And I think it it continues to work. It continues to work well enough where Jake Junis is, is one foot in in the circle of trust for me. I think that's that's the right way to to describe it now is do you have to have both feet in for that two step? I think for me, you do. Uh, And I've just gotten burned too many times thinking, well, how bad could it be with that risky start? It always goes badly, like much worse than I think it's going to be uh, when I try that out. So uh, if if you were more of a strikeout pitcher, I maybe I'd have a little bit more faith. But I just think that that Philly start could go really badly. Marlins, by the way, are in the top half um, this year to date in Woba, which surprised me a little bit. So don't know that we can necessarily think of them as, you know, the, the matchup that's going to make the whole week work. Yeah. I think that's, that's a fair thing to point out for sure, because they're often associated with being a bottom five offense in a pitcher friendly environment. And they're not quite like that anymore. Environment's still a good one to pitch in, but of course, as that lineup improves, uh, they are going to find ways to put runs on the board. And I think they've got a couple of guys who have underperformed that could still get back to previous norms. Avi Garcia comes to mind immediately, but even Jesus Sanchez, I feel like, has underperformed a bit to this point. Wouldn't surprise me at all if he starts hitting a bit in these next few weeks. Let's get to a few more pitchers. You were thinking about pitchers you really don't trust anymore. I think Kyle Hendricks has landed pretty safely in the guys I don't trust range, but two home matchups against the Brewers and Cardinals during the upcoming week. We're definitely at the point where he's on and off rosters. If we're talking about anything with 12 teams or less, easily a guy that could go back on the waiver wire after a two-start week. Are you picking him up and throwing him out there for volume sake with two turns at home in division this week? Nope. Nope, nope, nope. Not in those uh, leagues that you're talking about, 12-teamers. I get in 15-teamer where maybe you just don't have better options and the volume is is a tempting thing. But yeah, he's he's really completely outside the circle of trust for me at this point, Hendricks. Uh, I, I'm not sure where, where the upside is because it's not, it's not with strikeouts. It's frustrating because I really thought there was some bounce back potential. I thought he could get back to being the guy that was striking out 20% of the batters he'd faced and he would do it with a low walk rate. But we're sitting here on May 27th. Kyle Hendricks has the worst walk rate of his career at 7.8%. Ordinarily, that wouldn't be that much of a problem. But when you're a low strikeout rate pitcher, you can't afford to have traffic like that. And the home run rate is up again from where it was last year. So the name makes you think Shadow League streamer for a two-start week. The results and the underlying skills look like they've eroded to the point where that's just not the case. He is much more of a, a deep league only. I mean, sure, for an NL only league, no problem. You're in a 15-team mixed league where your ratios are already tanked. Okay, maybe you can chase the volume in those circumstances. Otherwise, I think you got to be really careful with Kyle Hendricks, despite a lengthy track record of success without overpowering stuff. He's just not that guy, at least right now, but maybe not anymore. I think there are some more interesting names, though, that are out there. They don't have two starts, but they are at least streamers in similar leagues. Jordan Lyles finally gets a matchup outside the AL East, <laughs> home against Seattle. 
is it possible that Jordan Lyles actually isn't bad? And the fact that he's actually getting volume is pretty encouraging too. Yeah, I, I think he's a, a a reasonable streaming option. I don't know that I would necessarily go like medium, you know, like 14 team. I, I suppose maybe this is just a question of how we use the terms 15 team. Yeah, I think 15 team streamer. Uh, he's, he's certainly under consideration at this point. It's like the way they're using him. They're yeah. letting him... They're letting him pitch, and I think that helps rack up Ks. Eight Ks in each of his last two starts. Those were both against the Yankees. Actually kind of held his own. Five earned runs combined across those two turns. That spanned 13 and two-thirds innings. I think with all the limited-use pitchers they have, having a guy that can be more of a workhorse also sort of fits what they're trying to do as they continue moving through their rebuild. But we have seen good K numbers from him, really going back to the entire month of May now. Mm-hmm. Six, five, six, eight, and eight in those last five starts. So cheap strikeouts and a decent matchup against the Mariners this week for Jordan Lyles. I'm a little more aggressive than you are, I think, with him. If I'm in a 12 and I'm looking for someone to fill in that last pitcher spot, I think Jordan Lyles is good enough in this matchup to actually do it. Uh, what are you doing with Mitch White where available? He's probably one of the more widely available pitchers we've named so far. May have a shot of actually going five innings next time out, and it's a home start against the Pirates. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty nice. I think he's a, definitely a good 15-team target. I'm not sure about the appeal beyond that, but um, maybe maybe there is more. Uh, real interested to see how he does against the Pirates, but that, yeah, that's a very nice start. I'd like to see the K rate go up or the walk rate come down, but I'm willing to take my chances against the Pirates. You can stream almost anybody against them. Workload looks like it's going to be big enough. Uh, probability of a win, of course, also very high for Mitch White in that spot. Let's shift the focus over to some more of the two-start pitchers, though. Three came up to me here in the medium league range. We're talking 12 to 14 team leagues as kind of being that borderline cutoff for these guys. We have Nick Martinez at St. Louis, at Milwaukee, Rich Hill, home against the Orioles, and at Oakland, and Tyler Wells at Boston and home against the Guardians. And I think for me, as I look at these three, Tyler Wells, he pops in Eno's pitching plus model, and the way the Orioles use him seems to maximize his effectiveness. But I think there's kind of the the same problem we had with Chris Archer as a two-start pitcher this time a week ago. The workload is not necessarily in start where you want it to be to have a shot at two wins. So how do you compare Wells to Hill and Martinez, two guys with, seemingly lesser skills, but probably more likely chances to get wins in their matchups and with their usage. Uh, yeah, it's, it's well, I would say it's a tough call between Wells and, and Hill because I just, yeah, I'm not that impressed with the with the skills so far, but he's got really great matchups this week um, versus Baltimore at Oakland. So I think I would probably give a slight edge to Rich Hill, although in a different week with a different schedule. I would probably prefer Wells, but to me, Martinez is really the the best option here, even though he's got probably the worst matchups at St. Louis at Milwaukee, but he's just been really solid. And I, you know, I think the biggest uh, concern about Martinez going forward is just uh, what happens when Mike Clevenger comes back. But for now he's got a rotation spot and other than the walks, he's just been really solid missing bats, missing bats in the zone, which is always something that you like to see. Uh, So I, I like him for these two starts better than Hill or Wells by by quite a lot. 
Yeah, I think I'm Hill over Martinez, but both over Wells because of the usage and the lack of Ks for Tyler Wells, which is surprising. His stuff's actually pretty good. So I think we're going to get more Ks going forward, but I think we're looking at more of a, a seven, seven and a half Ks per nine, like a, a 19 to 20% K rate than something more. And I think that forces him to continue showing great control to be a, a viable option for the more medium-sized mixed leagues. I've got both of the Mets two-star pitchers a notch below these guys, David Peterson and Trevor Williams. It's a home matchup against the Nats and then a road matchup against the Dodgers. I mean, I think there are genuine questions about both of these guys from a pure skill standpoint, but that at-Dodgers matchup was enough to bump them away from the medium league range. Yeah, no, it's a deep league volume play for sure. Nothing more than that. And unless you're in a situation where you just really need to get those bulk innings, I would stay away for both of them. The other two-start name that's widely available, someone that I don't think I have any interest in, I just want to throw him out there in case you see something you like. Ronnie Garcia for the Tigers has the Twins at home and then the Yankees on the road. Similar kind of difficult week to what Peterson and Williams have and, and even kind of less known about him as far as what he can really bring to the table. At a glance, the profile didn't look good enough for me to even want to take a chance in an AL-only league because I think there's also the possibility, even with Matt Manning having a setback, that the Tigers could just change course midweek and you may you may only get one start, and that would be disappointing. Although you'd get probably the better one, the less scary one, against the Twins as opposed to at Yankee Stadium. But the, the one thing that's got me interested in Garcia, and this is very deep league, like very deep mixed league or mono league, um, is that he is getting a lot of strikeouts. Now, it's it's a small number of innings. I think he's only thrown 18 innings so far this year. He's not been a strikeout pitcher pretty much anywhere in the past. His CSW is really low, but he's just getting a ton of foul balls, like at an extremely high rate of foul balls. So that for some pitchers, that is a thing. Uh, it's pretty rare. It's one of those stats that could be highly variable, but it's got me intrigued because his strikeout rate right now is something like 32, 33%. So I'd, I'd try him out in my AL only, see how it goes, but that's about the extent of it. Yeah, that's the extent of my interest in Ronnie Garcia as well. Let's take a look at some closers if we can find any of interest. I was digging around in the corners and looking at the results of my Thursday Fab Leagues. I don't see much of anything out there right now as far as reasonable speculation targets. We talked a little about Clay Holmes last weekend, of course, the world of Chapman on the IL, so that sort of answered itself in, in the time since we last spoke. And Holmes was already pretty heavily rostered even before last weekend, so... Other than some really shallow leagues, I don't think he's out there anywhere at this point. Do you have any teams you've been speculating on? I know the Reds have been mixing and matching a lot, and that's been a point of frustration pretty much all season for us through these first two months. But where are you throwing darts, if anywhere, this weekend in hope of finding some saves? Probably nowhere. Uh, The only thing I would just say is Clay Holmes, like you said, he's... Uh, out there in really shallow leagues. He's not universally owned or universally rostered yet. Uh, Maybe he should be, probably should be. So 10 teamers, I would add Clay Holmes, 12 teamers where he may still be out there. There might be a few, uh, definitely needs to be added there. Otherwise, I think it's a a week to focus elsewhere because I don't even see any uh, situations that are really worth speculation at this point. Yeah, I mean, Joan Duran has been rostered for weeks in most leagues. I know he's been picking up a few more saves in Minnesota. If you're in a shallow league looking for a partial share of a bullpen, I think at least in that case, you're getting 
part of a bullpen where you've you got a first place team, a team that wins a lot. So if you, you have to have a committee closer, you get a guy with good skills, you get someone on a good team, at least then you might find your yourself in a position to get rest of season, I don't know, 15 saves? Like, is is that sort of a fair high-end expectation for someone like Duran based on, on usage and team quality? High-end, yeah. I don't think that that's necessarily what the median expectation should be, but not impossible. Yeah, I just, I am frustrated, to say the least, with how uh, saves have been extremely difficult to come by. And every time we seem like we're getting a source... Uh, something comes up, either an injury or another arm enters the mix in the committee situation. You know, Will Vest was on the IL. We talked about him, I think, two weeks ago. He's getting close to returning. If your league is the kind of league where he was either dropped while he was out or he wasn't picked up in the first place, I guess Detroit is one of those places where I still think we could see a change where Gregory Soto is not necessarily entrenched as the main source of saves. I think Vest could come off the IL and take that job relatively quickly but it's an uninspiring group of relievers to say the least yeah no i uh absolutely agree with that and um yeah that that's a good call on will vest i mean really where where i'm looking and this is deep leagues i don't know how much appeal there is here but just you know relievers that are giving you good ratios um you know, one name that comes to mind is Eli Morgan, who's just been really very effective, tossing two or three innings a time. Maybe he becomes a starter and he's a stash for that. Otherwise, you know, very deep leagues, maybe somebody that can help you with ratios. And other than that, I've really got nothing. I guess the other name that I haven't really said on any waiver shows that in a deep, deep league, if I was just trying to find someone that could get saves later, Victor Arano for the Nationals is pitching well so far this year. Career best walk rate at 5.3%, missing enough bats at 28.9% to see him continue to have high leverage opportunities. Doesn't seem to have a home run issue, getting more outs on the ground than ever before, too. So, you know, maybe at some point this season, Victor Arano is getting consistent saves. Problem, of course, being the Nationals not winning a lot of games and probably going to get worse between now and the trade deadline when they eventually start moving a few veterans off that roster. But yeah, if you need saves right now, maybe something will open up over the weekend. Maybe we'll get some some unexpected news that creates an opportunity. But at this point, not a lot to get excited about as we record this on Friday afternoon. Of course, it is a holiday weekend. We hope everyone has a safe and happy holiday weekend out there. Uh, be sure to check out Al's waiver wire piece. It's up on The Athletic, theathletic.com slash podcast. Get you a subscription to The Athletic for just a dollar a month for the first six months. On Twitter, you can find Al at AlMelkyRBB. You can find me at Derek Van Riper. The Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast returns on Tuesday. 